the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You know, if you go to the average bookstore, and I realize you have to hunt them down these days, but trust me, they still exist. If you go to the church growth section or religious section, depending upon how your bookstore is organized, you'll find shelves there loaded with books on church growth. How to do it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly. But what if the idea of a section of books that took the opposite tenor, that instead of doing the big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly, instead taught you how to do it slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate. You'd probably think the books were 90 to 100 years old, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, don't we live in a day and an age when everything that we do fast equates better? I mean, let, let's face it, we, we just, everything we do, the more that we can do, the more rapidly we can do it, that must be good. So if it applies to information, technology, food, cars, the internet, why not faith? Why not indeed? My guest tonight, I think, would argue that um, fast is not always better. In fact, there's much in terms of the history of the church that would demonstrate just the opposite, that the approach of being slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate also means a church that will be sustainable and a body of believers that will be deep in their faith, in their relationship with Christ. Christopher Smith is the editor of the Inglewood Review of Books and member of the Inglewood uh, Christian Church community outside of uh, Indianapolis, co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, Chris, great to have you on the program. Thanks, Craig. It's good to be with you. I'm, I'm trying to think the the pitch to your publisher on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's got to have been either a stack of rejections or a few people that thought clearly this guy has either lost his mind or um, uh, needs to have a serious talk with with somebody, um, some church growth expert, because we know in 2014, fast is just the only way to do it. Right. Yep. Um, actually, we were pretty fortunate. We found an editor that. Uh, like the idea um, from the very outset, and he basically coached us through the 
the whole the whole process. So uh, we were very fortunate to find find an editor who thinks outside the box. That thinking outside of the box, as much as it might seem to be uh, in terms of the way most of people that are involved in the church growth movement or have a heartbeat for all of this, is in fact not all that outside of the box, is it? In fact, I think there's a lot of of evidence to demonstrate historically that for the bulk of the history of the church, uh, that thoughtful, slow, deep, deliberate approach is exactly what uh, got the church from uh, the time of Christ to where we're at today. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's a long history of of um, of patient persistence uh, in the Christian community, uh, but it, it tends to be, like you said, kind of more underground. <laughs> Uh, not the mainstream of church history. This movement that we've seen um, that, that seems as if um, I don't know, it's, it's like franchising the kingdom of God like it were a McDonald's. You know, sure, absolutely. let's let's put them up as quickly as we possibly can. I mean, nobody. Got, and I'm not picking on McDonald's, but but any fast food restaurant, no serious, thoughtful person who really is a foodie thinks of these locations as a spot for fine dining. We're going to um, walk away with a culinary experience. Uh, we we know what they are. For what they are, you want it fast, quick. Uh, that's what you do. That you know that um, it's not going to be the kind of experience um, um, colonistically that you'll be thinking out above or, or sharing with others for years to come. Uh, it's seemingly, just the opposite of what we want out of church. That we do want it to be something that is going to be deep and meaningful and hopefully profound and sustaining. Uh, and yet, I'm, I'm wondering wherein lies then this this creep toward doing it fast, equating better within the church? Well, I think it's coming from the larger culture. Uh, One of the things that we do in the book is kind of look at the history, look briefly at the history of industrialization uh, and kind of the technological growth over the last 200 years, um, basically during the industrial and now the post-industrial age. and basically, one of the, the side effects of that sort of rise of industry, and there's been, I mean, there's been some great things that have come out of that industry. I mean, many people were uh, saved from really, really uh, hard, back-breaking work uh, through uh, the rise of industry. Uh, but, but one of the things that has happened is that has kind of continued to grow and grow and expand uh, globally is that there's kind of been an expectation for for speed and for convenience uh, that has kind of crept into all of life, um, it, as you mentioned, into the food we eat and how we eat it, and and also, uh, we argue in the book, into the way that we exist as churches. Um, and, and yeah, and we, I think it's mostly just kind of been uh, a lack of critical critical thinking and acting um, in the ways that we engage the larger culture uh, that has kind of uh, and, it, and again it's kind of slowly infiltrated our churches uh, as you said in your introduction uh, the church growth movement played a big part in that and certainly there was I mean there was a good intent uh, in the church growth movement uh, of trying to to grow churches to spread the gospel of Christ and bring more people into into our churches those are wonderful and noble noble goals but but because of the culture of uh, industrialization the culture of speed and efficiency um, the that that movement uh, became focused more on the numbers than on the depth um, and and that's and that's the point at which it started to kind of turn and uh, move in a direction that's not not particularly helpful we think 
Well, and, and uh, you know, not, not healthy, too, in a spiritual standpoint in a lot of ways. I mean, let's face it, at the core, um, all of this dialogue, whether we talk about outreach, evangelism, church growth, um, discipleship, all comes down to one core issue, and that is the business of relationships. Oh, uh, whether we're talking about building relationships interpersonally between uh, family members and husbands and wives and kids and so on and so forth, building relationships with strangers to love them to Christ— uh, ultimately toward the, the the penultimate goal of a restored relationship with the Creator Himself, which is, of course, what He sent His Son to do, that substitutionary work on the cross on our behalf, so that we might be reconciled into a restored relationship with Him. And yet, we look at the world around us, and if anything, it seems to be marked by the notion that lasting relationships are a thing of the past because we move so fast and and indeliberately and and, and, and without a lot of, of thought or care, and as much as that has been the hallmark of, of changing the way relationships are, then I get, got to be a little bit scary thinking, well, my goodness, if doing it rapid and, and uh, um, uh, big and bold has had an impact in, in so many ways on the sustainability of relationships, what does it say about the sustainability, so to speak, of our relationship with the very God himself? No, no doubt. And that's, uh, Craig, you've kind of hit on the reason that we actually chose the, the name slow church and not just uh, slow Christianity or slow faith um, but, but we very intentionally chose the, the, the language of slow church because what we believe like you were, for the reasons that you just stated that uh, what God has been doing in the world and God continues to do in the world is, is largely centered around the gathering of the people and this is something that began in Israel the descendants of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and even Jesus uh, when he started his ministry, uh, came of age and started his ministry, one of the first things that he did was to gather a community of disciples around him. And we believe that it's in community, in our churches, uh, that we that we can start to recover what it means to be in meaningful relationships um, if, we, if we're willing to slow down and be attentive to, to what we've been called to be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I think you're absolutely right that that relationship is at the heart of what what God is doing in the world and what what the heart of what we're called into as followers of Jesus. So there's a little literal troubling aspect to this that this rapid results approach that we take today and it's everywhere it's pervasive everywhere within culture and and business and society and of course it's crept into church that it seems to be this focus on rapid results at the expense of long-term sustainability, and there's a number of layers in which this becomes very troubling, not only in terms of sustainability, for example, of a new church plant. How many churches come and go and come and go and come and go? And is that really the way God wants us to to do community, if at the core the church is really about the neighborhood or the community? And then the other question is, if there is such a profound impact on the sustainability of church, how can we not help but wonder whether or not that might have an impact on the sustainability of our relationship with God. Oh, not that he would flutter or fail, but that we, from our perspective, might be just inclined to give up at a moment's notice. I mean, let's face it, largely in the westernized church, we're we're not really accustomed to pain or sacrifice or um, agony. In fact, we work very hard to avoid all of that. Which is curious because the Bible says much about suffering for our faith and persecution for his namesake. A lot more to talk about. 
Christopher Smith is with us today. He's co-authored Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll take a brief time out. In fact, let's not take it brief. We'll make it slow. <laughs> We've got traffic. Maybe you've got that slow experience in your life already today. Take a deep breath, and we'll return to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Talking today with author Chris Smith. Um, he has co-authored with John Patterson a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, this breaches into so many aspects of our faith, of the sustainability of same, not just our faith, but also local congregations, um, the body of Christ. And, you know, I guess in a day and an age, as we've been suggesting, Chris, where we have seen the emphasizing of um, uh, quantity over quality, this has really been um, almost disastrous at certain levels to every aspect of of faith within uh, Western Christianity, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. This is really, really broadly reaching. And I mean, and honestly, it's part of the reason that, I mean, one of the things that we kind of have experienced ourselves and have seen elsewhere um, is simply that uh, we tend to compartmentalize our faith, uh, that our faith has become more and more uh, not pertinent to the rest of our life. What we do on Sunday is kind of separate, a separate thing from what goes on. Uh, in our in our home or in, at our office place, um, whatever that may be, um, and, and we we don't think that that's what uh, we have been called into. I mean, we think that God is reconciling all things in Christ, uh, and that that the wisdom of the gospel is is pertinent um, to our to our family life, to our work life, and then part of the problem is that we've kind of. Uh, kind of fragmented home from work, from church, from uh, from maybe other social activities or whatever, but um, and and those spheres of our lives don't uh, interact with each other very much. Um, and I mean, part of what we're encouraging as we slow down is to to allow God to to heal some of those uh, fragmentations and find ways for for our lives not to be uh, quite so fractured. And that fracture, that fragmentation, seems to be clearly an outgrowth of the emphasis on quantity over quality. I mean, let's face it, if we're left with a choice of either going deeper or going quicker, um, culture today has sort of um, programmed us. We have been, uh, uh, almost like Pavlov's dog, trained to respond to the quicker not realizing how much we're missing in the going deeper. I mean, is it any wonder that we compartmentalize then and we relegate God to a brief hour-long experience on Sunday mornings and maybe for, uh, you know, a half hour or so uh, Wednesdays, if, if he's that fortunate, because we don't see the value in the integration of our relationship with the Lord in every aspect of our life, in every day of our life, because let's face it, we've never perhaps ever seen the what that means to to be modeled in front of us. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I think that. Uh, I mean, part of the part of the reason for that again is the the advertising culture uh, that we're in the midst of that that always uh, encourages encourages us to seek more, more, more. We need we need a new car. We need a new house. We need uh, a vacation. Uh, whatever. 
whatever uh, the advertisers are selling. Um, but but, but the kind of the collective effect of that is always encouraging us to to desire more, more, more. And what we need, I think, is a, is a transformation of our desires, um, uh, a transformation to, to, to not desire more, but to desire to, to, to go deeper in the, the relationships that, that we already have. Well, and doesn't it become a vicious cycle, too? Because the more and more and more that takes us to a more shallower degree, it's sort of the, the quick high, the quick fix um, in life at so many levels, becomes terribly unfair fulfilling I would suspect after a while and so then you're you're motivated to go after more because at the end of the day you're you're trying to, to obtain something that that is not a product of the the faster the quicker the more but of the slow and the deliberate and the deep oh absolutely absolutely one of the things that we focus on in a chapter later in the book is the the practice of gratitude of being thankful and I think that's that's one of the the ways that God has provided for us to kind of resist uh, this or to to um, to start to put us on a journey toward healing and and being transformed out of this culture that always wants more and more and more to to learn to be grateful for for the things that uh, that God has provided for us uh, for the relationships that God has provided for us and and the the resources that God has provided us with uh, both as individuals and as congregations um, and and I think if we the the greater uh, that we learn to practice thankfulness, gratitude. Um, I think that we'll start to to see some see some transformation. It really comes down to the sense of being grateful, which causes you to pause and look at all that is around you. What's the old phrase about stopping to smell the roses? Oh, yeah. And we're, we're rushing down the street and along the way. Uh, we don't have time to capture the sights nor the fragrance because we're just too busy thinking about uh, what we're doing next, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing in 20 minutes. Um, I, I guess the big question is, since that sort of manic approach to life is so inbred in so many of us. I mean, I would wonder, even as we're talking right now, and there are people that are listening to our conversation on the drive home who, even though they recognize the danger and the illegality of browsing text messages, are doing it as we speak because they just can't, simply can't wait to see what that text message might say. How, how do we get off of this roller coaster ride to pause long enough to say we need to do some serious introspection here about our priorities and where we give time? No, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, just I mean, just the example that you gave of, of checking test me- test, text messages while you're driving. I mean, that's a that's a potential uh, that has the potential of death for for you and and someone and others around you. Um, and uh, it's interesting that the Bible, I mean, kind of talks about uh, the connection between uh, the way of sin and death, and and. and and I think that that's, I mean, part of the consequences of of living too fast um, is, I mean, is ultimately uh, death. Um, and, and maybe uh, it's not always going to happen. Hopefully, it won't always happen. But but there's always that potential there uh, when we're trying to do too much and not being attentive uh, to what's going on around us, particularly in a culture where we use, like ours today, where we use 
heavy machinery like cars and and so forth. And I mean, there's the risk. The risk is. Significantly well, there's also, I think, a degree of risk, as I use that as an example from a spiritual standpoint, because as you talk about in the book, Slow Church, this culture of unreflective speed also means that we might be inclined to just kind of, at the surface, buy into any whim, any uh, doctrine that comes our way, because it sounds okay, or yeah, I've read a little bit of scripture, that seems to be in harmony, and so we don't take the time to research, we're, we're not fruit inspectors, we don't tr- test the spirits to see if they are of God, there, there are so many aspects of what we are warned to do in a slow, thoughtful, deliberate fashion from a spiritual growth standpoint, from a relation with Christ standpoint, that is it any wonder that we have not only just a sloppy religion, sloppy relationships, but then uh, so often so many within the church today are just pulled to and fro at any pardon me, any whim of, of false teaching because it's a culture of unreflective speed. Sure. I mean, you go into a Christian bookstore, and then that's, that sort of sloppiness is uh, is reflected. I, I, I don't. I'm not going to name any particular names, uh, but but that sort of kind of. Uh, I mean, everything from prosperity gospel to uh, uh, self help sorts of stuff. I mean, it's all there, and it's all it's all really not that reflective. Um, it's just kind of a, a quick fix of what will make us feel good. If you've just tuned into our conversation, we're visiting today with Chris Smith, co-author of Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll talk a bit about what this means, how we can slow down the pace, and what the benefits can be, not only in terms of our own um, family well-being and, and mental health, but ultimately for spiritual well-being and the well-being of our communities. We'll come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about Slow Church today, not just the book, but the entire notion. This is the the polar opposite of this uh, fast approach that we've taken to rapid growth that certainly does a lot in terms of, of sort of the quick um, flash in the pan, uh, brilliant moment uh, of success. But then, of course, leaves many questions pertaining to the sustainability of not just just one's faith, but frankly, of the community of the body of believers. And as we're learning from our guest today, co-author Chris Smith, um, quite frankly, this this rapid fast sort of the uh, the franchise approach to Christianity doesn't do a lot in terms of um, spiritual depth of individuals, let alone the sustainability of the church, and maybe therein lies the problem, that we're learning that the the rapid results today are, in fact, at the expense of long-term sustainability. Yes, definitely, Craig. I mean, we see that, like you were saying earlier, that church plants uh, tend to have a lifespan of maybe a couple years. And also, I think part of the issue, questions of sustainability, um, one of the questions that doesn't get looked at so much uh, is is the ways in which uh, churches move uh, from one neighborhood uh, to another, um, and what the what the impact might be of that sort of tr- uh, transition uh, on the neighborhoods um, that are left. I mean, I live in an urban neighborhood in, here in Indianapolis, and we've kind of seen the effects, the sort of vacuum that's left uh, when a church. Uh, or any other institution of business, uh, but but especially in this case in churches, um, when they move out of a neighborhood, um, and 
and it, it can be it can be uh, pretty powerful, and it's something that churches don't think about a lot about uh, what what has happened uh, in the places that they leave behind. Mm. So that loss of commitment to a neighborhood, and oftentimes there's a disaster left behind because then what might have been uh, the only beacon of hope in a particular community, and this certainly has been very true in a lot of inner cities, um, sure. it completely uh, collapses, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It was, it's interesting. Our church, the church I'm part of, Anglo Christian Church here in, Indiana, in the near, urban near east side of Indianapolis, uh, we're 118 years old, uh, but we've basically been in the same place uh, for for all of that history. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, at kind of a low point in the size of our congregation, the history of our congregation, uh, we ha- were faced with the decision, do we stay in this neighborhood or do we move out uh, to the suburbs where a lot of our members are? And the leaders of the church decided at that point that it was very important for us to stay. And basically for the last 25 years or so since that decision, we've been on a journey of trying to, to understand what it means for us to be a church in this place since we made a very intentional decision to stay here. A lot of times churches will move because they feel overwhelmed by many of the problems that are uh, facing a, a neighborhood and quite frankly maybe feel ill-equipped to be able to ascertain what those problems are and to sure. best address them. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what we've seen in the recent passing of Robin Williams, who is, um, because of his connection to the San Francisco Bay Area, has been sure. quite a, an ongoing topic here of the last couple of weeks. Uh, some folks might have seen um, comments made uh, the other night by David Letterman, um, who uh, knew Robin early on in his career, and uh, Mr. Williams had been a guest on the Letterman show apparently about 50 times down through uh, the, the years, and at the end of his very emotional, moving tribute to him, uh, had made a remark about, well, if he'd only knew about how much pain Robin was in. And it dawns on me that we in the church maybe are guilty often of the same thing, that we are too busy and moving too fast to notice when others around us are hurting, the very ones that God would call upon us to bring healing to or hope to or his gospel to. And maybe, you know, what uh, what was remarked by David Letterman last night regarding Robin Williams is indicative of a place where a lot of us in the church are at today. We're just moving too fast to notice those around us that are really hurting. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think you're, you're definitely hitting on something there, Craig. Um, that I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating to us is that, I mean, you just look at, you talk, we talked about earlier, a little bit earlier about the franchising uh, aspect of it, and you look at a McDonald's or you look at a Starbucks or a Home Depot or whatever, and those are those sorts of institutions look pretty much the same whether you're in San Francisco or San Antonio or wherever else. Um, and I think that a lot of times uh, churches can be that way. They can look and feel pretty much the same wherever wherever they are. And, they, and churches have kind of become almost um, uh, unattentive to... Uh, to the places uh, where they exist. Um, and again, that's part of the, the sort of fragmentation. Uh, churches have come to see themselves as kind of part of spiritual life, uh, not necessarily engaged in the life of the communities in which they exist. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think it's in that sort of engagement with the communities where we exist, where the, the wisdom of the gospel is, uh, and the, the call to 
to be peacemakers and all those other sorts of things that, that we're called to in Christ. Uh, those, that's where that witness is borne out uh, in, in engagement with, with our neighbors. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that, that we, there are many ways that we've become unaware of the, the pain and suffering around us. And, you know, even closer to home, I mean, again, that, that rush means that there's a risk of well-being to family and our own mental health, our own spiritual well-being, because we're not taking the time uh, to go deep enough because uh, we're just not programmed that way. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that I don't, we don't want to overstep here, but, but it's interesting to me that there's a correlation uh, between our continuing to move faster and faster and and the rise in uh, mental illness, for instance. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that they're connected, but it's interesting that uh, that they seem to uh, follow very similar uh, curves. Um, is a lot of this also tied into not just a desire to do things faster and more instantaneous, but also uh, coupled with this indicative of a, a lack of maturity that is uh, m- maybe as a as a watchword, uh, tremendously impatient and a culture where on an increasing basis we wish to avoid not only work but any pain. I mean, it used to be, you know, a, a good hard day's worth of labor mm-hmm. where you came home with tired muscles and and completely beat that was you had a sense of satisfaction and reward about that and today it's almost as if that has shunned and so if we're not willing to to exercise our physical muscles and experience a little bit of you know stretching pain in the experience um i wonder if that's indicative of of the same thing when it comes to not willing being willing to spirit to exercise our spiritual muscles that we're afraid of avoiding pain in any aspect of life oh yeah absolutely i I think that that's one of the things that we talk about in the book that, I mean, the way of Jesus uh, is the the way of compassion. I mean, just the incarnation itself of Jesus coming to earth uh, was an act of compassion. Jesus entered into all the pain and suffering and the joys, of course, too, but but the pain and suffering of the human experience. And that's what we're called to do uh, with one another in our church congregations and with our neighbors. And I think that what we're seeing, I talked a little bit before about kind of the history of industrialization and how we've become more and more uh, impatient and have more greater and greater expectations for speed. But one of the other effects of it is, like you were saying, that it conditions us to to want to avoid work and suffering. We look at the rise of the in the mid 20th century, the rise of the quote unquote labor saving device, uh, and that's a wonder. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that we should not use any sort of electrical gadget or whatever, uh, but but we do need to be aware of what what the cost of that is and what if we're saving labor, to what end are we saving labor? Um, and and the effect of that, I believe, is exactly what you were describing. That we it, we're, we are having greater and greater difficulty entering into the the pains and sufferings of others because we've been conditioned to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. And of course, the irony is that pain and suffering also translates into notions of persecution. Um, and you know, somehow the notion that we, as the Church in America, are uniquely um, given a pass on the idea of pain and suffering or persecution, when the Scripture, of course, doesn't say that at all. And um, there is a dynamic that speaks quite heavily to uh, that lack of being willing to uh, to suffer for His name's sake, as Chris- Scripture calls us to, indicative too of this notion of kind of being there. Uh, uh, the church that's what's the old saying 10 miles wide and an inch deep right no no absolutely 
Absolutely. I mean, again, I don't think that we should necessarily seek out persecution, but I mean, I think that there are ways that our desires for comfort uh, uh, kind of compromises our willingness to, to speak the truth in, in difficult situations, uh, whether that's in the public square or in our congregations. Um, and I think that has, that has uh, ramifications. Our conversation today with Chris Smith. He is co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. If you are someone who is a uh, student of uh, everything that is fast and rapid and you wish to overemphasize a, a, a quality, quantity rather over quality, this is probably not a book for you. If, on the other hand, you're somebody who would rather not go quicker in your relationship with God but go deeper, then this indeed can be a book that can be a tremendous eye-opener, not only for your own relationship with Christ, but at the family level and at the community level. The book again, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus, newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores around the Bay Area, not in the rapid church growth section, though, I might add. (laughs) And, of course, on Amazon.com. And our thanks to co-author Chris Smith for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you Google Romans 12, beyond the passage itself that will come up, you'll also find Pastor Chip Ingram's name. It comes up as one of the many page results. And ironically enough, I think not only the association with uh, Pastor Chip Ingram because of his life verse, but also his life work. You're familiar with, of course, his ministry. He is speaker on the nationally syndicated broadcast Living on the Edge, the author of more than a dozen best-selling books and senior pastor at Venture Christian Church. And as always, Pastor Chip, great to have you on the program. Craig, it's an honor. We go back, wow, 18, 19 years. Well, we were both a lot younger, but still as good looking, I want absolutely, to say. <laughs> absolutely. Your wife was telling me you're looking great. That's it. <laughs> now, Chip, I've got to say something. It's not all that frequent that you can Google a Bible passage and find an association show up on the Internet that not only ties into one's life verse, but also one's life work. And that certainly is the case with you with Romans 12, isn't it? Well, it's very interesting because I had no idea that that was true until I'm sitting here thinking, did he just make that up or is that true? Uh, But yeah, I mean, I really believe Romans 12... Uh, is followed by 11 chapters of grace and clearly outlines um, in, in a way that you can measure what a what a genuine, authentic follower a disciple is of Jesus. And so I, I wrote a book on that, and you know, then we've created you know small group resources for it and radio messages, and then literally, wow, I mean, thousands and thousands of churches have gone through you know that study. And what I love about it, it's you know, it's not venture, it's not. You know, any denomination, it's not any high-profile pastor, it's just the Bible. And uh, so the Lord's really used it, and I had no idea. Uh, I'm honored that uh, I could be associated with Romans 12. So. You know, it's interesting because so much of that, and not just the entire book, but specifically that passage, focuses on relationships. And at the end of the day, God is really in the relationship business, isn't he? I mean, he, he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the entire world, for all of his creation, all of mankind, that through that sacrifice we might be forgiven, be reconciled, so that we could walk in fellowship, in relationship with him. Yeah, for those that might be, you know, either driving or listening or jogging or, you know, 
streaming KFAX and thinking, you know what, I wish I was a little bit more familiar with Romans 12 so I knew what they were talking about. I've taught this a lot, and it has five relationships and basically says the follower of Jesus whose heart is, you know, not none of us are perfect, but is in line with God's heart. The five relationships are God, the world system, ourselves, believers, and unbelievers. And the, the thumbnail sketch is that an authentic follower of Jesus is surrendered to God, verse 1, separate from the world's values, verse 2, has a sober self-assessment, verses 3 through 8, is serving in love in the body of Christ, uh, verses 9 through 13, and then 14 to 21 talks about uh, we as believers uh, are overcoming evil with good, supernaturally. So that that's a thumbnail sketch for those that are just feeling a little bit out of it. And those Roman 12 principles on relationships, that was very influential in your coming to Christ, wasn't it? I remember reading about you that you grew up kind of as a Midwestern kid in Columbus, Ohio. You were churched, but not necessarily at a Bible-believing church, which I always find to be a little bit of a dichotomy. You're a church, but not a Bible-believing one. Tell us about that. Well, I... Um I went to a social, non-Bible-believing church that was characterized probably like a lot of people. You know, no one expected anyone to live. Uh, the, the sermons were, you know, I can't remember many of them. Um, I think someone got up and read a little passage. But, um, you know, basically I got to be about 16 and thought, I think this is sort of uh, brainwashing to keep kids on the semi-straight and narrow until they get old enough to realize there's not an Easter bunny, there's not a Santa Claus, and no one takes God seriously. And so I just opted out and said, you know, I don't know if there's a God, but if he's like these people, and not that I was any better, but it was just like, man, this is this is lame. And so I just opted out, and, um, you know, I, someone probably made everything. I didn't give much thought. And it was, um, I was... Uh, a literally basketball junkie gym rat and I'm not very big and so I played I mean without exaggeration eight nine hours a day and my dream was to have a you know get a basketball scholarship and by God's grace I did but the football coach I didn't play football but I have no idea why he said hey there's like 600 of some of the best athletes in Kentucky, West Virginia, and Ohio that are going to be at this camp. Would you like to go and really get you ready for college? And, you know, my job was delayed a week, and I thought, shoot. He says, I'll pay your way. I thought, sounds better all the time. But he didn't mention too much what FCA stood for, <laughs> Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I'll never forget. And maybe some some people can really relate to this. I remember going to this camp, and, you know, they give you a T-shirt with a big cross on it. I'm going, uh-oh. And then they gave me a, a, a little Bible that I'd never, never read the Bible, never opened it in my life. And fortunately, a little bit later, it was pretty easy to read. It was like the good news version. And then people were, like, saying Jesus' name out loud. And I'd ne- I mean, it was like... Oh my, I've been sort of dropped into the land of Jesus freaks. And the word, when Jesus came out of my mouth, it was uh, probably after getting my finger stoved or missing a shot. And I had other things that went along with his name. And it was like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? Did it really seem out of place, too? Because as you describe your early church experience, it sounded like what you did on Sunday for an hour or two yeah. had no bearing on the Monday through Saturday existence all. whatsoever. It was sit, kneel, stand, sit, kneel, stand, let's get this done quickly. And uh, and so, yeah, I was really out of place. And, and what, But what I do remember, I went, Tom Landry spoke, you know, he was a 
Cowboys, um, Dallas Cowboys coach at the time. And there was, man, there was like three, four or five, I mean, professional athletes and a bunch of college athletes. And the sports part of it was awesome. And uh, I was not, I did not open that Bible the first two or three days. They were not going to brainwash me. And by about day number three, I just thought either these, how can 600 people be such good actors? Because they seem like they really care. In fact, they seem like they love one another. And I'll never forget walking off the field. It was the wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons and the fullback for uh, University of Illinois. And I mean, I was drenched in sweat. I couldn't have been 145 pounds, six foot 145, skinny little white kid. And I'm walking behind these two, and they're having this deep man-to-man conversation. I've never heard a man talk to another man at that level. And the one guy, in a, in a very appropriate way, had his arm on the shoulder of the younger fullback. And, and as they walked off, and I couldn't hear all the words, and they didn't even notice me. But it was like, it was like this, now I look back, I didn't know what it was, but it was like the Spirit of God took that snapshot and entered into my heart and said, this, this is what life's really about. And I remember the thought walking behind him is, I don't know what they have, but I want that. I mean, I was a overachieving student, an overachieving athlete, and no matter how hard I tried or what little awards I won, it was like, it's, it's empty, so you go for the next one. And it was at that camp I trusted Christ as my Savior, and uh, I wasn't very, you know, I started reading the Bible, I, I just ate it up, Craig, and and uh, the big moment for me was two weeks later, no one said anything to me. I hid it under my pillow. I mean, I don't think my parents would have got mad, but it would have been like, you know, because he's freaking out on it. So I hid it under my pillow. I'd read it in the morning and at night. And two weeks later, I just thought, I don't cuss anymore. And it was like, where did it go? And I, had, I didn't know about renewing your mind. I had no idea what was going on. But just my desires kept changing from the inside out. So that's kind of my story. And... While I was at that camp, like after three days, I mean, you know, there's 599 guys opening their Bible for 20 minutes before breakfast. As I look around, it was all outside in these rolling hills in Ohio. And, and the peer pressure got to me, so I thought, well, I'll open it. So I open it. Never opened the Bible in my life. And it says, I urge you, therefore, my dear friend, in view of all that God's done for you, that what God really wants is for you to offer yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice. Uh, This is what spiritual service is all about. And don't any longer be conformed to all the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that how you actually live could demonstrate what God's will looks like. It's good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. And then it went on to say, and and by God's grace, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And I mean, it's like a video recorder went on. And I just saw my life, and I realized I always had this question, if God exists, I wonder what he wants. And um, that verse of Romans 12, who would ever dream later, was my beginning of uh, a journey to say, wow, so he's not trying to get my money, and he's not trying to get to a bunch of services, and he's not trying me to look and act weird. God wants me. God loves me. And then when I got to the part, don't be conformed, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm the biggest phony I know. <laughs> you know. And so that's the journey with Romans 12. And, um, you know, years later, God has used that, I think, to help a lot of other people. 
Pastor Chip Ingram with us today on this edition of Lifeline. Of course, he's senior pastor at Venture Christian Church down in Los Gatos. You can get more information about the ministry, by the way, online at venture.cc. That's venture.cc. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our visit with Pastor Chip Ingram as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.